I grew up in the mountains and anytime we needed to go to school or go to the store or just, you know, go to town, it meant there was a prolonged car ride ahead of us. <laughs> and I'm the oldest of three siblings. I have a younger sister and a little brother. And God could not have knit us three together in, in, in a different way. We are so unique, but we shared two things in common, a very strong will and the boldness to wield it at any moment. So that 35 car, 35 minute car ride into town in the back of a small Toyota Tercel, it wasn't much of a joy ride. It was a continual test of our character and a test of my parents' patience. You see, we didn't have DVD players back then. We didn't have tablets. We didn't have phones. We didn't even have portable music. No, we did it the old-fashioned way. You sit there in your chair, and you look ahead, and you stare at the back of the seat in front of you, and that's all you do for 35 minutes. About the time we get to Redstone, we'd start getting restless. You could feel the tension growing there in the back seat. And as a young boy, you know, I knew I was going to be a pastor someday, so you can be assured that if a fight were to break out, it... It wasn't because I started it, right? I mean, right? But inevitably, somebody's shadow would end up on somebody else's side, or accusations, accusations would fly, or there's those invisible lines that you just shouldn't cross, you know? Words would be shouted, and it might even come to blows. And then from the front seat, a booming voice would thunder judgment back on us, and we would call a truce for five minutes until the next fight started. A 35-minute car ride. My mom and dad, in fact, at one point, sat the three of us down and, and they, they, they said, listen, kids, if you could ever make the car ride from our home into town without fighting, we will take you to Disneyland. Our jaws dropped. We looked at one another. Disneyland? I mean, for mountain kids, that was, that was as great as it could get. We can't imagine going to Disneyland. All we had to do was keep the peace for 35 minutes in a Toyota Tercel and we could experience the, the, the vacation of our dreams. Well, folks, to this day, not one of the self-kids has ever been to Disneyland. You see, it was there in that Toyota Tercel that I learned a lot about the topic, today's topic, unity and, and, and disunity. And here in Ephesians, Paul has already spoken a lot about, about unity in Ephesians 2 and even 3. But in Ephesians 4, he zeroes in on it and he gives us a challenge that's so timely for this week, for this church, for this nation. Because unity, that's vital. I don't know if you've noticed, but unity is, in this nation is fracturing and splintering at an alarming rate. And if we aren't careful, this is going to start happening more and more in our churches or our church. So let's turn to Ephesians 4. Let's see what God has for us today. It starts off, Therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Remember last week? Be completely hum humble. Be gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. And then, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He says, keep the unity. The word here for keep, it means maintain, maintain the unity. And this might seem like I'm nitpicking on something, but it's so important to today's topic. You see, the unity of the Spirit, which is Christian unity, isn't something we're called to, to fabricate or produce or, or muster up. As God's people, we have been saved and we have been called to a divine unity. And we are told to simply maintain it. 
the work of God and the sacrifice of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit have created and established this, this marvelous unity. And we, the children of God, are in the back seat, <laughs> expected to keep it. You see, it was there in that Toyota Tercel driving into town. My parents, they formed a family out of their unity, out of their marriage vows to one another. And they asked, our, they asked us as kids not to create that unity, not to, to, to resource it, but, but just to maintain it. All we had to do was keep the unity called. We were called into, we were born into that unity of that marriage. In the same way, we as Jesus followers, we've been born into a unity of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. All we're called to do is maintain this glorious unity. So wherever there's disunity in the church, or wherever there's disunity between two Jesus followers, know that it's because we didn't maintain the unity God had already supplied us with. We didn't keep it. We let it go. We broke it. Now to restore it, we repent. You know, I ask forgiveness. I grant forgiveness. And then we step back into the unity of Christ. We don't have to create it. Again, we don't have to muster it up. We just simply step back into the unity that he has and we move forward. But bottom line, divine unity is established in heaven. We simply maintain it on earth. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit now, to maintain this unity, we're asked to make every effort. And the Greek word here, for, here means, it means to exert ourselves. Maintaining unity takes work. It takes effort. Other places, this translates to do your best. Put in your best effort. Do your very best to maintain unity with the people of Christ. You know, my wife and I were discussing something a while ago, and she said something that I found profound. She said this, love inconveniences itself by its very nature. And inconveniencing yourself takes effort. I thought it was an amazing way to, to, to look at this. Love inconveniences itself for the convenience of the other. Love goes out of its way for the way of the other person. Jesus went out of his way. He inconvenienced himself to come to our lives. I mean, dying on a cross seems like a terrible inconvenience, but out of love? He went out of his way for our benefit. And for any of you who have a, a pet, you know, a dog, a cat, whatever, I mean, you inconvenience yourself daily, walking in the frigid cold, special designer foods, spending, cleaning, all for your furry friend. Love goes out of its way. And here Paul says love exerts itself to maintain unity with other believers. They don't look like you, uphold the harmony. They don't talk like you, maintain the unity. They don't act like you, preserve the peace. They don't vote like you, hold the line. How much effort? Make every effort, every effort. Exert your heart for the sake of unity. Swallow your pride for the sake of unity. Hold your tongue for the sake of unity. Graciously extend forgiveness for the sake of unity. Sweat and flex and put your whole self into it. It's clear. Make every effort to maintain the unity of Christ. Now let's look at this unity. This is something the Bible speaks a lot, a lot, about a lot more than, than we're aware of. Unity isn't something new that Paul's bringing out as a fresh, fresh revelation. In fact, Jesus, in his, he talked about unity a lot. In his final days with the disciples, 
he has this epic prayer that he prays to, to the Father, and then he prays for his disciples, and then, then he prays for us, and it has to do with unity. John 17, the whole chapter, but Jesus says a certain line over and over as he prays something like this. He says, Father, as you and I are one, as you and I are one, may they be one. This oneness. Verse 22 and 23, he's praying for all the believers who are going to come after throughout time, and that's us. He's praying for us. He prays to his Father, may they be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that we may so that they may be brought to complete unity. Our unity that we maintain is an outflow, it's an overflow of this divine unity in heaven. He gives us more insight in verse 4 on, this, on, on what unity does, what it looks like, what it's branded like. He says, Father, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. I, I did the work. I finished the purposes you gave me. And this reveals a very important core of God's unity. That it's one in purpose. Unity comes when we bring our uniqueness to God's purposes. If a church has 100 identical people, but they each have a different purpose, they will move in individual directions without unity. But if a church has 10,000 uniquely different people who come together for one purpose, they will move as one in unity. It's about purpose. And here's why. This has been said many times before by many preachers. Unity does not mean uniformity. Unity does not mean uniformity. It's unity in diversity. Unity not in uniformity. In other words, it doesn't mean we're all the same. Unity is not sameness. It's distinctiveness moving forward in the same direction. Denver Broncos football. It starts, it starts like this week. Now, no, no, don't check out if you don't like or know football. The point is universal. The Broncos roster is made up of 50-some players, 52, and these players come from many different states and many different backgrounds, many different origins, many different childhoods. They had distinct journeys through, through elementary, middle, and high school, and then college to, to arrive there on the team this year. They come in all shapes. They come in all sizes. In fact, there's 52 different opinions on the team about food and politics. There's 52 different personalities on the squad. No two team members on the roster are alike. Each is unique, each is distinct. And in fact, you wouldn't want them to be all the same. The largest player on the team is DeMar Dotson. He's from Mississippi. He's six foot nine, 315 pounds. He plays offensive tackle, and his sheer mass is fitted for this position as he's blocking other behemoths playing def defense who are trying to tackle the running back behind him. And that running back, that's Philip Lindsay, a local kid who's, who's five foot eight, 190 pounds soaking wet. Dotson is over a foot taller and over 125 pounds heavier than Lindsay. They could not look more different. Yet it's their uniqueness that helps them work together. They help each other in their uniqueness. Dotson moves bodies out of the way like a bulldozer so that the scrappy Lindsay can dart in and out behind him and advance the football. Here's the bottom line. Each player on the team is unique, but they all have 
one goal line. There's a oneness to the team as they come together for one purpose. Dotson and Lindsay, they're distinctive, yet they have one purpose, one goal. Get that ball to the end zone. You have 11 players on the field every, of every type and background. But in unity, they're all pointed the same direction for the same purpose. Despite their individual uniqueness, they come together in unity. In the same way, as a church, we come together from all different backgrounds, experiences, families. I mean, the personalities, there's no two of us alike in the church. Different successes and struggles and relationships. But, I mean, this very week, between online and online, YouTube and Facebook, SoundCloud and, and the podcast, you will be one of over a thousand people who engage in this message over the course of the coming week. And not, and not, one, not two, any two of you will be the same. Each one of you is completely different and hears with different ears through different experiences. I just want you to know, the Bible doesn't call all of us to come and be the same. The Bible calls us to bring our distinctiveness and move forward together on the same divine purpose. Godly unity means that we are one in purpose. We love God and we love people. All people, no asterisks. And we move the same direction of loving God and loving people and going out into the world, into the culture, into society, and shining our light on Jesus. To illuminate Jesus. Love God, love people, illuminate Jesus. It's this way that the world will see him as they see him active in us. This requires one purpose because at the end of the day, at the end of your life, you weren't placed on this earth to illuminate a political agenda, a party, a candidate, a company, anything. You weren't put on this, this earth to illuminate and shine brightly on a career success or materialistic gain, none of which we can take with us. Our lives are here not to go out into the world and argue what's right, but to go out into a dark culture and shine light so that people see Jesus. And just like a sports team, we all have our unique abilities and unique gifts, but when we're all on the same page, moving the same direction to the same goal, powerful things happen. God's purposes grow His family. Unity does not mean uniformity. Unity is not sameness, it's distinctiveness moving in the same direction, which means it is a great thing that there's differences within the orchard. I love it. I love that there's so many, so much um, variety. So just as Jesus prayed for, for all of us to be one, the same way he and the Father are one, listen to what Paul takes us next in verse 4. Because he, he capitalizes on this oneness that Jesus started. Verse 4, there's one body. There's one Holy Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. There's one God, the Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. He uses the word one seven times. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father. I don't have, to, I don't have time to cover every one of the ones. So I'm just going to pick a few. He says there were one body. One body. And as, as followers of Jesus, that's who we are. This is a metaphor that Paul uses often. That the church is the body with Jesus as the head. This, this illustration, I mean, it, it proves once again God's love for diversity. He, he created diversity. Because if you look at a spleen, 
and you compare it to an eyelash, you will hardly find any similarities between that spleen and that eyelash. They couldn't look or act any different. And unless they're the same body, but we just got to admit they're not interchangeable. A spleen would make a grotesque eyelash and an eyelash would make a tragic spleen. I mean, just sit, uh, oh, this, swap your digestive system for your respiratory system and you'll have really bad breath and a really dysfunctional body. <laughs> you know, like all these separate parts, they look, they look nothing alike. They act nothing alike, yet, yet they come together for one purpose and there's cohesion and life happens. And in a church, it's the same thing. I mean, just for fun, we should just grab somebody from online or online and have them come sing the song afterwards. Just anybody, maybe you. Maybe I'll just grab you and say, you know what, you're singing the song after this. And maybe you do, maybe you don't. Maybe you're somebody here who has the gift of, of serving behind the scenes and, and the thought of standing or, or, or being right here and speaking in front of people, well, that does impact your digestive system. We're all gifted, but we're not all the same. We're at our best when we are on purpose in the area God called us as we come together in unity for one purpose. To love God, love people, illuminate Jesus in a world that needs to see him. I was in my mid-20s when I suddenly broke out in the strangest rash, which is always a good way to start a story about a rash. Yeah. But it was strange because it didn't itch at all. It was just spots all over me. Finally, I went to the doctor and he ran every test in the world and he literally walked in the room after it all and he said this. He said, here's what we do know. We have an incredibly bad rash on an incredibly pale body. That's all we know. <laughs> That's so, so fast forward a few months and a lot of drama and it turned out I had this blossoming autoimmune disorder. These cells were attacking the tips of my capillaries causing them to burst all over my body. So... It eventually settled in my kidneys, and, and that's where I remain and deal with it to this day. But I learned a lot about the body's defenses through this, this whole thing. When one part of the body attacks another, it's called an autoimmune response. And so many different conditions come out of this, this kind of basic disorder. It can be cataclysmic. It's usually life-changing and sometimes fatal. In a church, when one part of the body attacks another, it's the same type of thing. The whole body can be brought to a halt by this autoimmune attack of one member attacking the other. When the church body is fighting with itself, it can often, it's most often visible from the outside. The effects begin to show, the symptoms show to other people. And no one wants to be a part of that. That's messy. That's, that's when people get hurt. And that's what church has a reputation for. That's why what Paul's saying is so important. Church body was not purposed to attack itself. Paul says we are one body. Orchard, this would look like us wherever you are, whatever your gifts are, wherever you are moving in your separate life, but all connected on a, on a singular purpose and mission. He says there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. And lastly, there's the, there's the part about one hope. Perhaps at some point you, in your past, you made the decision to follow Jesus, choose him as your savior, accept his gift of salvation. And at that moment, you were called to one hope. Unity requires a singular hope, and that's Jesus. 
I just want to camp here as, I, as we end this. We're called to one hope, not, not even just two hopes, not one and a half. He says one hope, the same way there's one Lord. So hear me out before you, hear me out on this before you're tempted to react. Our truest hope cannot be in a political party or candidate. Our nation needs a hope far above the office of president. Our hope cannot be in a social agenda because our vulnerable need a hope far more transformative than a program. Our hope cannot be in our family peace or our our health because our family's hope needs to be greater than our relational happiness. Our hope cannot be in our spouse or relationships. It can't be rooted in our successes or our, our strengths. Our hope cannot be, be connected to our savings accounts or our material possessions. If you believe at some point that Jesus died and rose again, you are called, along with me, to place our global, our national, our local, our moral, our relational hope in one place. It's Jesus. Our world needs Jesus. Our nation needs Jesus. At the root of our nation, it doesn't need a political solution. It needs a a spiritual solution. And here locally, the people you know, the people you work with and live with and, and recreate with, the greatest hope you could bring them is the one hope you have to offer and the one hope you've been called to. That's Jesus. You bring them that one hope, it changes everything. At the end of my life, in those dimming moments of consciousness, my one hope will be completely clarified. But I don't want to wait till that moment. I want to know and be rooted in that hope every day between now and then. Because I can't be the husband, the father, or the friend, or the pastor that I need to be if my hope is placed in any other place. And you, you were called to one hope in one Lord. And perhaps today you find yourself hearing these words right now and you're low on hope. If that's you, well, that internal feeling that, that is the symptom that comes with having your hopes placed in, in places that have failed you. They failed you. And with that, your hope has died. And the reality is, if we continue to put our hope in those places, they're going to undoubtedly fail us again. If you're here and you're low on hope today, I want you to pause and see where you have placed your hope. Because God called you to, to one hope. That your, your whole life, your whole light would flow out of that. I want you to know that you, you can dare to hope again for goodness in life, no matter what dreams, no matter what's been broken in your past or in your present. God is in the resurrection business and he has hopes and dreams ahead of you that you thought were long dead. But I've found it only comes when I'm placing all of my hope in him and finding peace with what I've lost. And then I begin to feel actual anticipation for what he has ahead of me. God always offers fresh hope, always. No matter how broken, he always offers new hope. So today, perhaps your response to this whole message is is to reaffirm Recommit and refocus your life on the one hope of Jesus. Your hope has been broken because you've been placing it in other people, in other circumstances, in business, in jobs, whatever, and it has crumbled. There's one place our hope won't crumble if we place it securely in Jesus Christ. One hope.
May that be your prayer after the sermon as you take communion where you are, as you listen to the, to the final song. And for the rest of us, for all of us here today, I want to call us to this godly unity that we would come into alignment with heaven's purpose. Move forward in the purpose of illuminating Jesus by how we love people, how we love God. I want to say that again. I want us to come into alignment with heaven's purpose and together move forward toward the purpose of illuminating Jesus by how we love God and love people, that they would know him. And so, and that today, this is, this is going to be hard, that we would stop expecting other Christians to share our opinions on so many different issues in life. The Bible never called us to uniformity of opinion. Come be a part of a church knowing that it's filled with people who don't agree with your opinion, but who do agree with you on the truth of God's purpose and promise. I have so many friends who who vote different than me. I have so many friends that, that we would march for different causes. We invest in different nonprofits. We differ on our opinions of social and cultural issues, but we agree that Jesus is his Savior. We, we agree that he is the main thing and that everything else is a far distant second. And therefore, I can stand shoulder to shoulder with them, worshiping one Lord and moving, moving forward in our uniqueness toward one purpose. In fact, I think it's probably best that we we cease looking for a church that shares all of our same opinions. A church of spleens wouldn't get much done. You see, God's church isn't about finding a gathering of people who share your opinion on things like COVID or politics. God's church is about finding a gathering of people who believe with you the truth about Jesus Christ. Period. The gap between opinion and spiritual truth is far greater than we will ever realize. But oftentimes we, we choose our, our, who we, our church based on our opinion, not based on biblical truth. Church isn't about finding a group who agree with your opinion on the world. Church is about finding a group who agree with you on who you worship. Church isn't about finding a group of people who share your flavor of politics. A gathering of people who have the same political opinions, that's not a church, that's called a rally. I have my political opinions, but deeply rooted below those, I'm called to one body, one hope, one Lord, one faith one spirit, one father. You see, my body might breathe the air of a republic, but my spirit breathes the air of a monarchy. Because my, my spirit doesn't have a president. It has a king on the throne in heaven. And my hope, my hope is set in that throne room no matter who sits in the Oval Office. You see, my driver's license may show that I'm a citizen of America. My Bible tells me I'm a citizen of heaven. Now, I love the United States. I thank God I'm born here. I thank God I live here. But make make no mistake, I'm not here on this earth to convert anybody to my brand of politics or agenda in that way. I am here to shine the light of Christ on the one hope people have for this life and the next, and that's Jesus. And because of that, we can join together 
for a cause that's much bigger, much grander, and eternal compared to anything else we would have. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I would rather somebody's soul cross from death to being alive in Christ than to have them switch a, a, a party affiliation. My purpose is it's clear on this earth. Love God, love people, illuminate Jesus so that they can come to him. Here's the bottom line. If, if you're a Democrat or Republican or anything in between, or whatever you are, I love you. And I don't need you to change whatever, whichever you are in order for us to work together to see Jesus change our community. We can have unity without uniformity. We can work towards a heavenly calling while having a different opinions. Orchard, we are one body here in this region. We have people outside of this region, but, but our, our physical location, it is, here, it is here. We are spleens and elbows and hands and feet, and we are all in between. And when we come together with one purpose under God, then we are the most powerful entity in this region. Because Jesus himself said that the gates of hell won't stand against this church. We have the greatest potential to bring love and grace and, and support and, and compassion and resource and life change to our communities and our neighborhoods. Because we're empowered by one spirit. We're called by one God. We are saved by one Lord. And we are commissioned for one purpose. That's the bottom line today, is this. That we, maybe we lay down the swords of our opinions because they aren't the purpose of life. And let us come together in unity and pick up the cause of loving God and loving people in such an amazing way that wherever we are daily deployed, the purpose of heaven moves forward in that place. And like the book of Acts says, when they, were, when they were doing this, it says people were saved daily. People were added to their number daily and they came together and worshiped. We are powerful in our diversity when we come together in godly unity. And we're going to face some, some rapids as we finish out 2020. And as the political scene gets even, the temperature goes up. I just want to remind you all that we have a king. Our spirits belong to a monarchy. And that we can love God and love people whoever sits in the Oval Office. I'm not saying not to vote. I think you should vote. I'm saying that our opinions on things like that shouldn't decide how we interact with other people who know the truth of Jesus. Jesus is the main thing. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus, he's the head of this church. And we want to keep taking our cues from him and going out and loving people in such a way that they come to know him. So, let us be the church on purpose this week with one hope, one Lord, and one faith. Let me pray for you. God Almighty, I pray that through all the, the, the buzzwords in, in this and through all that and how we all would receive it with our own specific and unique experiences, I pray that you would call us to a unity in Jesus that transcends all earthly issues. I pray you would call us, you have called us, I pray that you would empower us. I pray that you would show us where we have gotten out of unity. We have not maintained it. I pray you would give us boldness to, to forgive, boldness and humility to, to go and ask forgiveness. 
I pray that this week the orchard would mend disunity. And that by next Sunday we would have a new sense of unity as people go out and find where they have not maintained it. And so orchard, may this week, may you be blessed in the name of Jesus. May he bless you to go forward with one purpose, to, to love God and to love people in such an amazing way that you illuminate Jesus and people's lives are transformed. As always, I love you and I'm praying for you. Love God, love people.